Good morning, everyone. I am Brian Robinson. It's good to be here today. Excited to uh, have the chance to speak to you guys and talk to you guys. I'm usually over there with the kids, so this is a nice little, little break. Um, before we begin, I just want to uh, kind of recap real fast what we've been doing um, this past month and a half or so. We've been in this series called, called Walk This Way. And it's basically a look, a look at the book of Acts. A, we're kind of going through the book of Acts to see how the early church lived, how they worshipped, how they experienced the Lord. And um, last week's talk was incredible. If you didn't hear it, I'd say go on, go on the website and listen to Ailey's talk. It was phenomenal about, about just how they were together in unity. This chapter is a little more challenging, Acts chapter 5. And I want to just preface that because this is a heavy talk. I've wrestled this whole week with this story. And I feel like before I even begin, I, I just want to say, I feel like during worship the Lord gave me a word, because I'm talking about, one of the things I'm talking about is, is discipline, the Lord's discipline. Not a popular topic. Um, but I feel like there are people here, specifically, I want to say this before we get going, there are people here that have gone through extremely difficult things in life. Things right now that are causing you to question God. And you've said, Lord, are you disciplining me? And, and I feel like he wants to say to some of you, the answer is no. It was not his discipline. And as I, as I talk about this topic, I want to say this before I get going, because you're gonna, some of you are going to wonder through the whole thing, that this pain in your life, this loss in your life, this suffering, there's like, was this God doing this to me? And I feel like he wants to say, before I even get going, the answer is no to, to those people in this room that have, that have questioned that, who've walked through that. And have wondered, is God just making me suffer? Is he just making me suffer? Discipline, discipline is clear in scripture. When God disciplines us, it's clear. It's clearly him doing it. And, it. and it results in restoration, not alienation from him. And so if you've wondered that, if you've struggled with that, and you're in a place right now where you've said, are you just disciplining me, God? Is this your, you, you know, grinding me in the ground for something? And you, you have no idea why. You have no, there's no explanation. You just think he's being mean or he's being angry with you, that's not the Lord. It's not the Lord. So I want to say that before we get going. Um, Acts chapter 5. This is a story of Ananias and Sapphira. Let's read the story. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get going. So Acts 5. This is the whole story. Right after what was happening, amazing stuff happening in Acts chapter 4, this is what happens right after. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the, at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? You've kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to, to human beings, but to God. When he heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. 
Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. That is a shocking story, isn't it? (laughs) That seems like it's right from the Old Testament. But it's not. It's after the resurrection of Christ in the New Testament. After what God is doing in incredible ways in in this last story from Acts chapter 4. So let me pray before I start. (laughs) Lord, just come Holy Spirit. I pray, God, you just would make your name great this morning and that you'd cause our hearts to turn towards you and not away from you. That your discipline is good, you are a loving father, and that you are a better leader than we are, Lord. So we just surrender to you and your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 4 ends this amazing story. They the Lord is moving in power. The church is, has this combustible energy. It's like this power team that they're just moving in power. And, and they're sharing their possessions. Some of them are even called to sell their homes and their property. It wasn't mandatory. It wasn't like mandatory socialism. It was voluntary. And this one man, Barnabas, sells his property. He's very wealthy. And the whole church finds out about it. And Barnabas, if we watch the story of his life, he becomes a leader in this early church, a major leader. He becomes Paul's right-hand man. Some scholars think that he wrote the book of Hebrews. So he makes this huge sacrifice, gives all he has. He's mentioned in chapter 4 as like this this incredible guy, and he's, he's, he's put into power in the church. He's given leadership. He's given authority. He's given a place of ministry. And now this happens in Acts chapter 5. This story of Ananias and Sapphira. Something happened, right, in their hearts. They saw something. I want to say, first of all, this is a narrative, okay? So if you, if you missed RCCU this past month, uh, Alan and Aaron, uh, Aaron Schoberg taught about how we read Scripture. And this is important to understand before we get going. This is a narrative. Which is, what that means is it's a story. It doesn't have a moral at the end. It doesn't say, and thus God shall do likewise if you don't tithe. Or, and thus God shall do likewise if you don't submit to Antling. Or, you know, or like whatever, like whatever you could take out of this. There's many things people have made out of this story, made points from that are probably ridiculous because it's a narrative. There's no clear ending. There's different kinds of writing in Scripture, right? There's law, Old Testament stuff. There's poetry, Psalms. There's teaching like Paul when he says, do this, don't do that. Didactic, it's called. This is a narrative. And so it's important that we say, whatever we conclude today, is it supported elsewhere in Scripture? Is it supported elsewhere in clear teaching? Because this story is, like, shockingly terrifying, right? Because we believe as Christians, we we believe theologically, that at the cross something happened, right? At the cross something definitely happened. That when Jesus died, he took away what I and you all deserve to be given to us, namely God's wrath, right? When Jesus died... He took all of God's wrath. Every bit of judgment and wrath was taken at the cross by Christ. He paid the price. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life. He obeyed the law perfectly. He was qualified to be the Lamb of God. He satisfied the requirements to be a a, a sacrifice that was perfect, to pay for the penalty that I deserve, right? So what happened here? If, if, If we as Christians are paid for, what just happened? Because we have to ask the question, were Ananias and Sapphira Christians? Were they Christians? How could God 
in a sense, kill his own children if they were his, his children. We are his children, right? We are his children. So there's two opinions, and I, I wrestled so strongly with this. I mean, I still am wrestling with this, even, even as I say this. There's two opinions. Yes, they were. No, they weren't. Yes, they were. No, they weren't. Some people say they were. They were Christians, and God disciplined them. God didn't just discipline them. He, he slayed them. I mean, he, he stepped in, and, and he corrected them in a way that was immediate and, and final. And the reason was the church was growing. The church was, as Annie talked about last week, they were one heart and they were one mind. This is the closest the church had ever been. This is a brand new church. One heart means they were emotionally connected. They were living transparent lives, lives of intimacy. They were one heart and they were one mind. They believed similarly. They, they had a similar vision, similar purpose, similar unity. They were walking towards something and they were completely one. Jesus prayed before he died, Lord, let them be one as we are one. And so they had this incredible power and authority. The church was booming because of the fact of their unity. So these two folks come along, and if they were Christians, they brought disunity because they would likely have been put into a place of real power and real authority. We don't know what was happening in their lives. We don't know what was going on, but something must have been going on that the Lord had to reveal to Peter, right? The, he had to reveal it. P- Peter says to them, Satan has filled your heart. That doesn't happen overnight. That happened over a period of time. Maybe they were bitter about Peter's leadership. Maybe they were angry they didn't have enough power in ministry. And they knew by doing this, but they saw Barnabas do it, we're going to get some power now. Maybe they were offended by something in the church. I don't agree with the direction of the church. And they were believers, maybe, and they were just offended believers. And they knew, if we do this, we're going to get some power and authority, and we'll bring about what we want to bring. This happens all the time, folks, in the churches. This happens all the time. That's why there's over 30,000 Protestant denominations. 30,000. Because someone has a different opinion with the leadership, and they say, I'm going to get some power without them knowing, and I'm going to get some people around me, and then I'm going to, I'm going to tell them, you go this way or we're gone. And I've seen it happen. My old church in Virginia, amazing friends of ours, amazing believers said, we're going this way, the church is going that way, Young believers on fire. And the church said, we're not going that way. And they said, we're leaving. And 50 of them left with about 50 more people. And the church split. And it, was, it took years to repair it. And this happens all the time. So God had to intervene. This was the new church. If he had not intervened in this dramatic of a way, it could have been disastrous for the church. It could have been the first church split. And the church is like a few months old. So he intervened in a dramatic way to show we have to have unity. We have to have unity. So the other opinion is that they weren't Christians. They were people that had come into the church and they, were, they wanted authority and power and they came in the church because they wanted to bring division. They may have been Pharisees. They may have been just people who were, were just wanted, wanted influence. That's, 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 that's a probably a better possibility, honestly. But at the same time, I think it took a lot to be a Christian in the first century. It's not like today. People come into churches to, to meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to get social connections. In the early church, you didn't join the church to get power. You, you joined the church and you'd be persecuted. You gave up everything when you joined the church in the first century. In Jerusalem, if you became a Christian, you were ostracized forever. You could never go back to your, your way of life because you were, you were um, going against Judaism. And you become... Uh, a, a heretic, really. And so 
Those are the two positions. And I, I, I guess my heart thinks, God, how could you do this to a believer? I don't, I don't think in my heart he could do it. But I wrestle with this, folks. I mean, I, I sat there and I prayed and I was like, Lord, you love your children. How could you do this? At the very least, God, we know, disciplines his children, right? He brings discipline in our lives. But his discipline is always about restoration. It's always about a restoring of relationship. It's not about a punishing. It's not about a judging. So Hebrews 12, the the amazing chapter on discipline says this. My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. For what children, skipping now, what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. So one of the proofs of us being his children are that he disciplines us. One of the proofs that he loves us is that he corrals us back to himself when we go astray. Right? He, he's a, a father who loves. If you're a parent, if you want to reflect the Lord, we, we need to discipline our children in a loving way. I'm not talking about spanking necessarily. I'm talking about discipline. That there be clear boundaries and clear consequences and, and love. That's always about restoration. It's always about renewing relationship. It's always about bringing them back. Right? It's always about reflecting the Father's heart. Proverbs 3.11. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. That's the heart of the Lord right there. He's a father that delights in his children. And I imagine when I, when I discipline my sons, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's not something I, I look forward to. No parent probably does. But I still delight in my children. I still know this is for their best. I still know that my heart is to, to, to train them up in the way they should go so they would know the Lord. That's, that's my desire as a parent, even though in those moments it's so painful. And I imagine for the father, it must be like that as well when he disciplines us in his love. I imagine it must be, it must, be, it must grieve his heart. It must grieve his heart. Prior to uh, me coming on staff here at RCC, I've not really talked about this before, I was a special investigator for Homeland Security. I was a contract investigator to DOD and Homeland Security. And I'm not, not only talking about this before, but I think this goes along with this, this topic really well, actually. So I, for seven years, I worked as an uh, investigator, and I met with people applying for government clearances. And I've checked everyone out here in child care, volunteers. <laughs> and just so you know, I know all the stuff, and you can never stop volunteering. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Or else, or else. No, but I would meet with people who were applying for government clearances. What that means is they would apply for a new job or a promotion in their job so that they could have access to classified information. This is all over the news, right? Hillary Clinton's emails and Trump and Russia and all this stuff. This is all over the news. So I met with people who were applying for this kind of job or they're getting promoted. So I'd meet with them. I'd sit down with them face-to-face. They filled out this form called the SF-86, 100-some-odd questions, and I would go through the questions with them. And I'd ask them the questions. They'd repeat the, their answers. I'd, I'd confirm the information. Pretty simple. Nothing, nothing crazy, typically. Typically. But there were times when people omitted things, right? They, om- they omitted things on these forms. Either because of one, two reasons. They omitted something because they simply forgot, or they omitted things because they didn't want the government to know. And I often would have that information with me. And I would have to confront the person on that omission, 
I'd have to say, have you ever been charged with a drug or alcohol offense? And they would say, no. And I would say, not, not necessarily convicted. <laughs> have you ever been charged with a drug or alcohol offense? And they would say, no. Then I would say, in December 1994 at the University of Florida, you were arrested for a DUI. Is that correct? And they'd say, oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I was in college. And I'd say, oh, that's probably the case, right? 25 years ago, they probably forgot. That happened all the time, right? That happened all the time. People forgot things that were serious sounding, but it was 25 years ago. The government doesn't care about DUI, typically doesn't care about DUI 25 years ago. But then I would say, and then again in December 1999, you got a DUI. And then in January of 2002, you got a DUI. And then, in, then last year, here in Jacksonville, JSO arrested you for driving under the influence. Oh, I forgot about those. You forgot about four DUIs? And this, this literally would happen. I mean, this happened all the time. Then there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They would oftentimes, because they knew what they'd done was wrong, right? They knew it. Because all the government cared about was answering this question, can this person be trusted? Is this person trustworthy? They didn't care about this person's past necessarily, what they did, a bankruptcy here, or financial problems, or credit card debt, or, or, or sketchy relatives, or all the stuff I've gone through. I could tell you stories for days, weeks. But what the question I had to answer was, is this person a person of integrity? Is this person a person of integrity? Can they be trusted with sensitive information? And I'd write a report. I'd write a report that would go back to the government, and there were codes or grades that we'd have to give, right? And there was one code, one grade, so, so to speak, that if I gave that person, it would never, ever be taken away from them. If they ever applied for a job again, they could never get the job. If they, 20 years from now or two months from now. It was so serious, it meant this person cannot now or ever be trusted, ever. And they'd be removed from, they'd be removed from their job immediately, pretty much. And their careers would be over with. And out of 5,000 investigations, I probably did that 10 times. 10 times, that's it. But it's so, it was so serious, it meant this person has to be taken out. And that is exactly what God did with Ananias and Sapphira. Something had happened in their hearts that was so dramatically wicked, and their plan was so dramatically wicked, God had to intervene. They could not be trusted. They could not be allowed to remain in that fellowship the body of Christ was moving in such power and authority and such freedom and such unity. That was the goal. And God had to step in and act. And he did. He did. He made an example of them and great fear seized the congregation naturally. And it probably brought a lot of questions, probably brought a lot of confusion. But at the same time, it brought them closer as well. It brought unity, deeper unity. So this morning, I, I feel like the Lord wants us to understand that he disciplines us in many different ways, right? This was an act of, of judgment, right? This was, this was different than discipline. This was final. But when he disciplines us, he wants restoration. He wants restoring of the relationship so that when we go astray and he, he acts, he does act, he doesn't just allow us to experience the consequence of our own choices. He does that too, right? We, we experience the consequence of our own choices. But that's not really acting. That's just a passive father who's like, I'll let my kid touch the hot stove. He did touch the Now he learned. I'll let my kid go on the street and hit my car. Now he learned. <laughs> that doesn't mean he's doing anything. He's just, he's just not doing anything, right? That's not really 
discipline. That's just inaction. God actually acts in your life, right? He actually does things, prevents things. He causes things to happen for your good, for your restoration. And one of the keys that I feel like that Ananias and Sapphira must have experienced was, I mean, there must have been this dialogue between the husband and the wife. Should we do this? And the wife is, because clearly Peter gives the wife a chance to respond. He doesn't give him a chance to respond. He, he's gone. It was, it was just a clear statement, boom. There was no question. But he asked her, is this the price you paid? And she goes, yes. So there must have been some dialogue that, that took place in, in time before that, that moment where they said, let's do this. And their hearts must have become so, must have became so deceived, become so deceived, or so, so darkened, because they, they didn't reveal it. They didn't come out with those things. They could have easily probably come to Peter any time in that process and said, we really have a problem with your leadership. We really have a problem with this in the church. We don't understand this or that. But they chose to remain in darkness. They chose to remain offended, or they chose to remain bitter, or they chose to remain whatever it was greedy or whatever it was because it must have been so hard to be a wealthy person and know I'm giving up everything for this people that I don't really agree with maybe I mean if you're if if, if you have 10 million dollars in the bank and, and God says give it all it would be hard you'd want to keep some for your kids you, you want to keep some for a vacation house you want to keep some for retirement wouldn't you I mean naturally it's not like this is that shocking that they kept some of it but they had they just said they kept some of it, they'd be alive. But they lied about it. It was voluntary. God didn't command them to do it. It was voluntary. But they didn't walk in the light. They didn't step out. And the whole point of Acts 4 is that everyone was walking in the light. They were walking in transparent lives. They were sharing their hearts with each other. And they could speak into each other's lives. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, what's the result? This is so interesting. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with each other. The result is, of honest living, the result of transparent life, the result of being vulnerable with other believers is real fellowship. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I wouldn't think that's the result of walking in the light. You'd think it'd be like, I'd have more power or I, I would have more joy. Maybe that's, that's true as well. But walking in the light with my, my brother or sister means I'm going to have genuine relationship. It's not just a potluck dinner at church. I'm going to have real relationship Life on life. And I, and I hope there are people that you have in your life, maybe one or two or three, that you can reveal that stuff with. All of us have a dark side. All of us do. All of us have things we're ashamed of. But if we keep that in the darkness, if we keep those things hidden from the Lord, those things gain power, don't they? Because of the shame from them. Because of the condemnation we feel from the enemy. The enemy brings accusation and condemnation while you hide in darkness. And the answer is, we need to be in the light. We need to have relationships with people who can say, this is who I am, man. I have struggled with this. I have unforgiveness towards this person. I am mad at my wife. I am feeling lustful for this or that. 
I'm, I lied at work and I made, I made a mistake here. We need to have people that, that can, we can do that with. But that's just the first step, right? That, that's not the whole thing. Walking in the light is, is not just sharing your junk, right? You, you can go to any 12-step meeting any day of the week, SA, NA, AA, all the A's. You can go to, you can go to any, any of the groups. They're, they're awesome. They really are. And you'll see people sharing their deepest, darkest stuff. And half of them are going to walk it out in freedom, and the other half, two days later, will be right, right back in the gutter. They've walked in the light. They've shared all their stuff, but their hearts are not there. Their hearts are not there. There has to be a turning in the heart because law can never, law, rules, accountability, more and more legalism, can never change the human heart. You can set up all kinds of boundaries, all kinds of rules, all kinds of regulations. It doesn't change the human heart. There has to be a desire to be in the light with the Father as a son. And that only comes through experiencing his love, right? When you taste and see that he's good, you want to be with him at any cost, at any cost, even if it means selling all that you have. This past week, something happened. I really, I have to believe this was the Lord for me to share this. Um, About three years ago, I was presented by a friend, uh, a job opportunity, a business opportunity, a lifelong friend, Christian, and he said, Brian, there is this opportunity that, that I've come across that is incredible. It may be a kind of a loophole, but I, I feel like this is a sales opportunity. You could, we can make so much money. I mean, you'll be a millionaire in less than a year. Literally, that's what he said. And, I said, and I, he talked to him about it, and it seemed, it seemed like, wow, that's, I don't know, the way, the way, the way he presented it, it seemed like it's, 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 it's kind of a gray area. But I thought, maybe this, this, could, be, this could be incredible. This could, this could work. You know, this, it's not illegal necessarily <laughs> and I was working for the government at the time so I was like I'd probably be, be careful here and I said let me just hold off man let me just see how it goes with you I want you just to go ahead and do it for, for a short time or I'll just kind of watch how it goes and so he sends me a picture of his first paycheck $40,000 two weeks two weeks of work $40,000 I was like wow next paycheck was, was like Triple that. And I was like, man, Shannon, we could literally pay off our house in Virginia that we're upside down on. We could, we could buy a vacation house. We could get just out of debt, you know, out of our, out of our mortgage debt. This, is, this could be the Lord answering, some, answering the prayers that we've had. You know, just whatever. We, 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 we don't have serious mental problems. But, but the reality is, it was like, a, I thought, wow, this, is this the Lord? Is this really possible? And so I prayed about it. I talked to friends. I went to an elder of our church. I said, what do you think, man? Before I make this decision... What do you think? And, we, and I prayed about it with several people that I trusted. I brought it to the light. Because I wanted to do it. I knew I could do it. And I felt like, wow, this could be incredible. In one year, I could do it for one year. I remember him saying this. I remember him saying this. He said, it is a little bit sketchy, but what if I could make a few million dollars? It's worth taking the risk, maybe going to jail for it. I could be a millionaire. And on Friday, my friend was sentenced eight months in prison. On Friday. He has two little kids under the age of three. And he's going to prison in a couple months. And I think, my gosh, here's a believer that I, I, I sent this, you know, before I sent this really harsh email because I felt like I came to the conclusion that it wasn't the Lord's will. 
And I was really bold with him. I said, dude, if you do this, you're risking, you're, you're risking so much right now. The Lord's going to intervene. And I remember praying with Shannon, and, she, and she, I said, just, just pray for a clear word. I want to be clear on this and know this is the Lord. And she said, the word I got was, God said, I don't do gray. I don't do gray. All 50 shades. Just kidding. But no, that was the word. That was a clear word. I don't do gray areas, the Lord said. I don't do gray areas. And I didn't do it. I was close to stepping into this, this job thing. I was close to doing it. But he did it, and he's going to prison. And I think, what would my life have been like just if I, for one month if I'd done it? I mean, I would not be sitting here before you. I'd be, I'd be literally on trial. I, I would have lost eight months with my kids for, for some money. And the things that we do that put ourselves at risk in life, not risk, just legal risk, but God, we're inviting the Lord's discipline in our lives, God's correction. My friend is going to go to prison. I believe it's the Lord correcting him. It's his own actions, his own consequences, but it's the Lord's correction. God could have moved on that judge's heart. He didn't, though. Maybe it could have been worse. But the point is, are we walking in the light so that we can say in those gray areas of our lives, those, those moments of gray where we say, I'm not sure what to do about this. I'm not sure where God wants me or how God wants me to act. Are we able to talk to someone that we trust, a person of leadership, a person of authority, a person that we trust, can hear from the Lord and know the word, not just, not just make something up, but literally hears from the Lord and knows the word, that we'd say, don't do it. Or, yes, this is the Lord. This is, this is a potential blessing for you. So I feel like this morning, that's what, that's what God wants to do, is just that we would come into the light, we would welcome his discipline as a loving father, because he loves to restore. He loves to restore. And he has brought things in your life for a reason. He doesn't just haphazardly allow suffering. He wants to teach us through those things. As a father delights in his son, it says in Proverbs 3, the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father delights in his son. He's the Lord. That's the key, folks. He is the Lord. And when he speaks, we should listen. This is on my heart. This is heavy on my heart. We use him sometimes. You know, we use him for his forgiveness and for his grace. We want the goosebumps. We want the emotions. We want the, we want the healing and the deliverance. But when he speaks, we don't respond. He's the Lord. He doesn't come as just Savior. He is the Lord and the Savior. And if you don't know him as Lord this morning, you don't know him. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, you don't know him. He can't be accepted halfway. He is the Lord and the Savior. Lord means he's the leader, not the suggester. He doesn't offer opinions. Ah, maybe you may want to break up with her because it's unhealthy. Thanks, God, for that opinion. I'll take it into consideration. You may not want to lie to your customers making a sale. Thanks, God, I'll take it into opinion. I'll take it into consideration. I'll talk to my people and get back to you. He's the Lord. He wants preeminence in your heart. He wants the throne of your heart. None of us do this perfectly. I'll say that. None of us do this perfectly. None of us have surrendered it all perfectly. None of us understand it all perfectly. But he wants the first place. He's not going to share you He's not going to share you. And this morning, 
I believe the Lord wants you to, to, to say again, you're the leader, Lord. I want your will more than my will. Your will be done, not mine. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane pleads with his Father. He pleads with the Father. If there's any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of suffering, this cup of discipline on behalf of my brothers, on behalf of my bride, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. But not my will, yours be done. Can we say that? Not my will, Lord. I want to make this sale really bad, Lord. I want this promotion really bad, but not my will. I want to get married really bad, Lord, but this is a bad relationship. Not my will. I want popularity. I want power. I want all this stuff, but not my will. He's the Lord. And he's a good leader. He's a kind leader. He's a loving leader. He's a perfect leader. He's a perfect father. And he deserves our complete surrender. And again, none of us do that perfectly. There are things that God continues to show us every day. This has not been surrendered. I love you. Let me show you another thing. And he shines the light. We can choose to stay in darkness. And he shines light in something else. But he's the Lord. And he wants us to say, I love your leadership, Lord. I love that you are a good father. You're a good leader. You're a good king. And you have good things for me. So let's stand.